This message was presented at the GYC 2014 conference at the Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Welcome, GYC. Whoa, that's pretty loud. Welcome to seminar session number three of The Fourth Angel. And today's title is Angels and Demons, Supernatural Beings, Literature, and the Struggle for the Soul. Before we jump in, we're going to have two live testimonies. The first one is by Janelle Andres, who uh, is currently a Souls West student, track two. And she is from the beautiful islands of Hawaii. And then we're going to have a testimony from Joel Moutre, who currently works as Assistant Literature Ministries Director of the Central California Conference. So let's pray. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit, we invite your presence, we invite your power to be with us here in this room in the next hour, and we pray that we can all emerge stronger and full of more faith and more courage to do what is pleasing to you at the end. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Alrighty, just get this lapel mic on. I've never actually worn one of these before. Alrighty. Well, um, I'm very privileged to be able to, to have a testimony to share with you. And what I'm going to be sharing with you is why literature evangelism has a special place in my heart. Uh, first of all, to give you a little bit of background information, I was born and raised Adventist. But, you know, just because I was born and raised in the church, it doesn't mean I had any less of the struggles that the world has, that any less of the temptations. Um, in fact, um, I fell into the things that, that many of us fall into. Um, more, most specifically, there was a relationship that I was involved in, and my entire world revolved around this one guy. And I started changing everything about myself, um, the career path that I was going towards, just so I could make him happy, because he was everything that I cared about. But you know, the entire time, God was trying to give me a love that only he could fill and satisfy. Yet I was trying to fill my own heart um, with this love from this guy. And it really meant absolutely nothing. And I didn't realize that until he decided that it was time for it to, to be done away with. And after me and my boyfriend broke up, that's when I realized how empty that love that I was trying to fill my heart with really was. After that, uh, I decided that I wanted to, to travel the world and get away from all of the things that kind of reminded me about him. So I decided that I was going to study abroad. Uh, I lived on a cruise ship for three and a half months, uh, traveling to about 15 different countries. And while I was studying abroad, God was, was slowly pricking at my heart. And I went to some third world countries, um, such as like Ghana. And while I was there, I saw people living so simply and how the, the little things just brought them joy. I did a bunch of these like service projects, it's kind of like little mini mission trips almost, where we would give toothbrushes to orphanages and teach the kids how to brush their teeth, or we would go and feed the homeless. And it was interesting because I started to notice a pattern that all of these organizations that I was volunteering for all had a bigger purpose, and they were all Christian organizations that was ultimately trying to spread the gospel. And it was then that God was really putting on my heart, like, I want you to go into ministry. I want you to live a life that is not for yourself, but is for other people and helping them to get to know God. And so I came back to the States, and I was, like, so determined. I was like, okay, I'm going to go into ministry. But I absolutely had no idea what kind of ministry. Um, but little did I know, God had a specific ministry that he wanted, to me, wanted me to be involved in. Um, the very month that I came back to Hawaii, he sent two literature evangelists um, by the names of Greg and Karen Wilson um, that happened to be Bible working on that same island. And it was interesting because I was so determined that I was going to plan the kind of ministry that I was going to go into that I was applying for like, all of these Christian organizations, not necessarily Adventists, but organizations that like, really focused in like, outreach and you know, ministering to other people. And I was going to apply for these internships, but there was like, a bunch of resumes and essays, and it was kind of crazy how hard it really was to apply for it. 
And so at Bible study one night where I met Greg and Karen Wilson, the two literature evangelist Bible workers, um, as I shared the prayer request, Karen came up to me that night and she asked me if I needed help with my resume and with my applications. And I was like, yeah, that would be awesome. So as we would spend time together, every single time we'd hang out and we'd like work on these like resumes and things, it would always lead into an impromptu Bible study. And it was interesting because, you know, like I said, I was raised Adventist, but I never really studied the Bible for myself. And I've never really been taught how to study the Bible. And when I would study it with her, it was the first time that the Word of God was really pricking my heart. And it was being like really personal to me. We would read verses and Karen would tell me like, I want you to insert your name right there because he did that for you. And um, every time we would hang out, she would always tell me like, hey, you should think about canvassing or you should think about this program called Youth Fresh. And you know, I liked her so much that I was like, I'll pray about it. And I did once. And that's all it took for God to be like, all right, that's good enough. Long story short, um, in that aspect, I, I went to Youth Rush that summer, and God just changed my entire world. It was really interesting because the more I was trying to reach out for these souls, like, I realized that the first heart that God was trying to win was my own. Um, it's really amazing how God can use you in trying to reach other people that he's saving you at the same time. And I started seeing him do that in my life. Um, as I kept doing this work, um, knocking on people's doors, going out of your comfort zone to go into theirs to bring them the gospel in a very simple way um, in the messages in our books. I got to see, like, God really working. There was this one experience where there's this man who was literally on his deathbed, and he told me that he could die any minute, and he got a step to Christ for me. And before I left, he told me, he's like, you know, something that's really interesting is just 10 minutes ago, I was on my knees praying that God would show me that he loved me. And then here you are coming to my door with a book telling me that I can understand how God is my friend Amen. and that he does love me. And you know, it's interesting because there's so much more that this work can do that we don't even really see. The time that I was really sold out for this work is when I met someone that reminded me of my own family member um, do any of you guys have family members or loved ones or, or friends that you're praying for them to, to come to God? Maybe they've drifted away or they've never given their heart to God. Yeah? I did too. Um, one of them is specifically one of my cousins. And as I was talking to this guy, he, everything about him reminded me of my cousin. And it, that's when it dawned on me. You know, the people that you're going and trying to reach, these are someone else's family members. Who knows if they're praying for them to get reached? And if someone had the opportunity to go to your family member, like, wouldn't you want them to spread the gospel to them? But that's the same thing that you're doing in literature evangelism, is you're going to other people's families that they really want to bring to Christ. And after that, God was really pressing on my heart, like, I want you to be in this work longer. Like, I want you to continue to reach out, and I want you to get trained more. And God was putting on my heart that he wanted me to go to Souls West. And, you know... Just to give you a background about, my, about myself, I'm half Asian. Have any, any of you guys have Asian parents or know what it's like to be Asian and how very important school is? Can I get some agreement for that? Well, let's just understand that I had one semester left um, to finish my bachelor's degree. In fact, it was amazing that God had opened up the way that doing Youth Rush, I got college credit um, at a secular university to be able to do youth rush. Like that's how much God was trying to get me sold into this work, that he was opening all of these doors. Since I only had one semester left and God was putting on my heart, like I want you to put your degree on hold and I want you to get trained and learn how to, how to serve me. That was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make, um, to call up my parents and tell them, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna finish my degree this December and instead I'm gonna go to a Bible college. You can just imagine the, the World War III that went on in my home. And you know, um, I can smile and laugh about it now, but it was really, really hard. Um, as I was talking to my brother, everyone was upset with me. And my brother told me, you know, don't plan on coming home because you don't have a home to, go, to come home to. And right now, like, you are written out of the real. Like, mom and dad are so upset with you. Like, how could you do this to them? Like, to give you an understanding, my mom worked 10 years and her entire paycheck 
just went towards me and my brother's college fund so that we could go to school like debt free. And for me to just like throw all of that away to go to a Bible college was really hard for them to understand. Um, I got blasted from every single one of my family members um, in, in making that decision. And for some reason, as hard as it was, I couldn't tell God no, and I couldn't tell my parents yes. And so I just kept praying about it, and um, I went canvassing that, that same day that I had talked to my brother, and that was probably the roughest day. Like, I've never cried so much in my life um, than that moment when my parents were in the process of disowning me because I just wanted to follow God, and I wanted to work for Him. And you know, it was interesting because I've never been able to connect with people more than when I realized how broken I really was, that I could reach the people that are really out there just broken and searching for God. At the end of that day, my brother texted me. He's like, hey, I want you to give me a call. I'm not going to lecture anymore. Like, I just want to understand. Um, he realized that if anyone was going to listen to me, it would have to be him. And so I called my brother on the way back. And before I did, I was just praying, like, Lord, like, I don't even know what to tell him. And God was impressing me um, to, to tell him this very specific story. A little bit more information about me is um, I had a 23-year-old cousin named Jeremy. And about six years ago, um, he had a heart aneurysm that bursted and he passed away. But three weeks before he died, um, my brother had previously gone to a Bible college and he learned how to, how to preach. And he was doing a sermon at one of the churches and he, and he invited my cousin to come along. And this cousin wasn't Christian or anything. And so he came and was like, yeah, I want to see my, my cousin preach. And that day when my brother made the appeal for people to raise their hand, and accept God as their personal savior. My cousin Jeremy rose his hand that day. And so he put that story in my mind um, to, to remind my brother of that. And, you know, my brother has fallen away a little bit from God. And he, he, he would tell me that he almost regretted going to that Bible college. And I don't know all of the, the hurt that he really went through. But God was putting on my heart to tell him, you know, what if God had you go to that Bible college? So you could learn how to preach for that one sermon for Jeremy. Like, isn't that worth it? Just for the, like, the salvation of your cousin, like, isn't that worth everything? And he started crying, and he told me, you know what, you're right. Like, it is worth it. Like, I would, I would do it all over again, no matter what hurt I went through, just so I could see Jeremy in heaven one day. And it was interesting because at the very end of that conversation, he told me, he's like, you know, I know you said that like, the reason why we, we called to talk to each other was so you could explain why you, you felt you needed to go to Souls West. But this conversation has really been for me. Um, he told me that he had one foot out of the church and he was just waiting for another reason to leave. He's like, but you just brought me back in. You know, God has really um, interesting ways of, of reaching our, our families. Um, and, you know, if I had to go through it all over again, just to bring my brother back into the church, I would do it all over again. And I just want to encourage you guys that literature evangelism, um, it's really changed my life. One, because it reached my own heart. Um, two, because it reaches the hearts of the people that you're going out and talking to. And just to give you an update of how my brother is doing, um, he's actually been reading the literature that, that Ellen White has written for us. And I've been seeing a huge transformation um, in just simply reading the passage truths that, that we really have. And she explains it so beautifully in the books that we carry. Thank you, Janelle. For those of you who came in, this is now Joel Moutre. Assistant Literature Ministries Director, Central California Conference. He's just going to give a, uh, his short personal testimony. Good afternoon, everyone. Man, it's packed in here. Praise the Lord. When I saw that, I was, I was happy. I, I, I really have a burden for Literature Ministries. It has personally changed my life, and so I'm excited to be able to share what God has done in my life. Anybody understand what I said? Okay, I grew up in the country of Norway, lived there for 10 years, and so that's Norwegian. Uh, you know, the Vikings, you know, right? Um, I grew up there, I lived there for 10 years. My mom is Norwegian, my dad's American. 
uh, and we lived there. And uh, when I was about f uh, 15 years old, my parents uh, felt the call like Abraham to bring us back over to the United States so I could get a good Christian Adventist education. A a even Adventist education over there is, is quite um, liberal in some ways, and so at least in the area that we were at. And so they brought us over here. I went to Adventist Academy here. Uh, anybody know who Taj Pakalev is? Yes, Taj Pakalev. He actually gave a week of prayer at my school, and I gave my life to the Lord uh, when I was a junior in high school. I remember getting on my knees, back, right, uh, weeping for the first time, realizing that Jesus could actually you know, help me with my life, and it was so beautiful. I remember growing up knowing a lot of things about the Bible. Anybody could identify growing up Christians? You, you know a lot about the Bible, but I personally didn't know a lot about Jesus, or rather getting to know him. I didn't know him very much myself, experientially. I remember just a little story to illustrate. Uh, did a lot of things ritualistic, went to youth conferences, went to GYC in Sacramento way back in the day. Uh, did all those things, and I remember one little youth conference at my church, or close by, um, Nelson Ernst, uh, the glow guy, and uh, some other people, they came up and they had little glow tracts, and they came up, and this is when it just started, I think it was 2007, and they said, Glow is awesome. You guys need to pass it out. It just started. It's so easy, so simple. They shared testimonies. And I remember sitting in the chairs just like you. And I was like, I am never going to pass one of those things out. Uh, and look now, I work for Glow. I work for Literature Ministries. God is in the process of changing hearts. But that kind of illustrates me. Like, I didn't have an experience with him. Because then Ellen White says that the natural result of, of being converted is to want to share what you believed. Uh, God, through providential things, after falling away after high school, brought me back into a relationship with him through co-portering. Uh, one of my friends, Heidi Bryant, they came and recruited where I was at, and I, and I said, you know what, I'll pray about it. And I prayed once, just like Janelle. And that's, that was how simple my walk with God was. I was like, Lord, should I go? If so, I'll get accepted. I was accepted. I didn't think any more about it. I just went. And uh, just a quick illustration of what happened during that summer. It was amazing. I think of uh, Peter in John uh, chapter 21 where it says there that, that Jesus told him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And I realized that summer that I could not feed God's sheep without food. Amen? I was out there in the field saying, you need to trust in God. You need to believe these promises. Get these books. They'll help you. Tell you about, the, about Jesus and the prophecies. And here I am, like, struggling with my own faith to even persevere. I would have to go back and study my Bible and pray. And when I was studying my Bible and pray, I was like, let's go back out. And then I would like, man, I need, I need Jesus. And it would go back and forth, back and forth. And my walk with Jesus increased. Uh, one last story to illustrate uh, my, my, my main conclusion with my testimony is I went to Souls West. God called me to go to Souls West because he said, before you go into ministry, I was going to do theology. He said, I want you to get to know me first before you know more about me. You already know enough. I need you to get to know me. So I went to Souls West, and I remember the last day of Souls West. I had packed all my stuff out of the room, even moved all the furniture out. And so I was having devotions in my car because there was no, nowhere to do it uh, in the room. And I remember sitting there, and I remember looking out the window, kind of in that zone, kind of like, prayerful attitude, and I said, you know what? And it just dawned on me. I found you. I found you. Wow, I found you. I came to the school to get to know Jesus, to go door to door and, and have to like see my need of God, living a comfortable Seventh-day Adventist life my whole life, and here I am in the field. Anybody ever knock doors before? It's uncomfortable. If you, seriously. I mean, you just see your need of God, and you have to trust in it. It just forces you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's awesome. And I remember looking and I said, I, just, I said, thank you, Jesus. I found you. Like, I can actually say that I am a friend of God. Amen. It was powerful. It was powerful. And that summarizes my walk with Jesus even now. Now I have the privilege of doing the same for others. I work full-time in ministry, training other people through GLOW and Youth Rush to experience that same, uh, as it were, uh, you know, using literature evangelism and outreach as a catalyst to stimulate a walk with Jesus. God has changed my heart through aggressive evangelism. And he wants to do that with all of us. And I want to read a quote here just at the end. Uh, it's found in Christian service and many other places. In Christian service, page 100, it says, Strength to resist evil is best gained in aggressive service. Amen. Do you want to have victory over sin? Do you want to have a deeper walk with Jesus? No matter what God is calling you to do, do something aggressive for him. Because that is where it just stimulates to help you see your need of Jesus. That's what God did for me. He used, literature, he used outreach to reach in. And, and God wants to do that to you, for you as well. And so I challenge you, if you want to get to know Jesus deeper, if, you, if you're not satisfied with where you're at, do something aggressive. Just switch directions. Go all out for Jesus. That's what he did for me. And I want to challenge you to do the same. Thank you.
Open your Bibles to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. This will be our base text for today. Thank you, Joel and Janelle, for sharing your personal testimonies. The world listens to young adults who have a powerful testimony. Job chapter 1. Let's pray one more time. Father, as we open the scriptures, please teach us from your word and help our time together to be productive. In Jesus' name, amen. Job chapter 1, verse 7. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Going to and fro on the earth and walking back and forth on it. Ever been in a neighborhood and you see some guys walking back and forth and they look like they're up to no good? I've seen that a lot, especially in my work because we're out in all kinds of neighborhoods. This picture is a picture of an African sunset I was married in the Republic of South Africa, and we went back there uh, a a year ago in the fall, and we took what's called a night drive, a night safari. We were up on one of those safari vehicles up high, and it was awesome. And we went up, uh, we went out just as the sun was setting, and after a few minutes, the, uh, the, the, the tour guide, the safari leader, he takes the big safari vehicle and he pulls it to the side, and it's kind of like we're blocking the road, and he gets out slowly, he goes and he gets his rifle. And he says, okay, everybody can get out now. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So when you're, we're in this park, it's the size of the Netherlands. It's huge. Size of the Netherlands with a fence around it, with wild animals inside, all kinds of wild animals. He says, everybody can get out now. There are drinks. You can have drinks and all this other stuff. So I'm looking around at my wife, and, you know, she's from the Republic of South Africa. And she's like, I don't know if we want to do this. And everybody files out, and I file out. And, and it's cool because you're out there in the wild. You don't know what's out there. I got a picture of There's the guy. That's, that's the safari leader. This guy was so cool. And uh, that's me with my vacation beard. But this guy, man, he, his knowledge, he was super knowledgeable. And so we're out there, it's in the dark, you know, and you don't know what's right around the corner. In other words, it's dangerous out there. It's real. These are real wild animals. It's not just make-believe. It's not fake. There is a quote that I want us to think about right here, okay? Okay. This is, the, this is a quote that I want us to, to, to meditate on, okay? This is from Ellen White in the 1888 materials. Whenever a book is presented that will expose error, Satan is close by the side of the one to whom it is offered and urges reasons why it should not be accepted, okay? So every time I present a piece of literature to someone, every time Satan is right by the side of the one to whom it is presented, urging reasons why it should be accepted. This is dumb, don't do this, this person isn't legitimate, Just, you know, whatever, okay? A whole, whole list of reasons. So it says whenever, that's every single time. And in our work, we see this happen over and over again. There's that struggle between angels and demons for someone's soul. Here's the rest of the quote. Okay, so he's urging reasons why it should not be accepted. That happens every time. But... A divine agency is at work to influence minds in favor of the light. Ministering angels will oppose their power to that of Satan. So here comes, here comes Satan. Boom. Reason one, reason two, reason three, reason four. Here comes ministering angels opposing their power to that of Satan. And you've got a real war. It's, it's live. This is live, in action, happening. A fight. And as humans, we're standing there watching this stuff happen. Some of you have seen that. Some of you have seen that when you've handed a piece of literature to someone. Have you seen that? Some of you have seen that not just when you hand a piece of literature to someone. You've seen that in people's hearts and lives. Maybe when you've given a Bible study. If you've given a Bible study or you see someone, someone's making an appeal, an evangelist is making an appeal, and they invite people forward, and the person's like about to get out of their seat. You've seen that struggle. This happens particularly when it comes to literature in the last days. For those of you who were here at, at the last seminar and the seminar before, um, you know that literature is, is a major way that God reaches people's hearts. But here, we're told 
that there is a struggle every time a piece of literature is presented. I keep my glow tracts in my back pocket, these little plastic protectors, so I sit on my tracts all day long. And I've got this one here, What the World Needs Now. I've got one on evolution. And this explains the righteousness of Jesus Christ, What the World Needs Now. Beautiful tract. So if I hand this to somebody at a gas station, you can be sure that the demons are not happy with that and that they'll try to, to discourage not only me from handing it, but from the person to read it, uh, etc. So every time there's this, this interaction, that you can, you can be sure that there's something supernatural that is happening. Matthew 13, verse 19. Matthew 13, verse 19. Jesus describes this process in Matthew 13. He describes what I'm talking about. And this is, this is in his interpretation of one of his parables. Matthew 13, verse 19, Jesus says, <clears throat> When anyone, here's that word again, anyone, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then who? The, the evil one, the wicked one, comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. So Jesus here again, he, he, he's describing this where Satan is successful. Okay, Satan comes along, snatches it away. I want to share some stories now for the next remaining, however much time we have remaining. I want to share some stories about God's intervention, God's supernatural intervention. We get to be in a work, when, and, and you can too, when you pass out glow tracks. We're in a work where we see this exchange take place. And the last two seminars, I told a whole bunch of stories, and I'd like to tell some more, some of which are directly God's special intervention. I remember I was in a, in a home once, and we had gotten into a home, we had presented, we made a spiritual appeal to these two people, and uh, we had asked them to, to get books, and they, 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 they were struggling with it. You could tell there was, a, there was a struggle or whatever, and these were Christian folk. And the one lady said, excuse me, I've got to go upstairs. And she went upstairs. And I remember her coming down the stairs, and she looked at me, and she said with this great spiritual earnestness, she said, as she slapped down a whole bunch of $100 bills, she said, the Holy Spirit just told me to buy these books. I'm buying them. So here's that struggle again, like this. And she listened to the Holy Spirit. I'm going I'm to share a video with you now. And I don't have audio, so I'm going to put my PC speakers to the microphone, okay? And I hope this works well. All right, this is a story about Stanley. Stanley is a non-Christian who's attending Seventh-day Adventist Academy in Southern California. Okay, this is Stanley. Hello, my name is Stanley. I go to San Gabriel Academy, and I'm a senior. And I go to... LA Central Korean Church and I want to share how this GLOW booklet impacted my life. I came here in freshman year and I came from Korea and I saw people praying and I didn't even understand why they're praying, what are they praying for um, because I was not an Adventist, I was not Christian. One day in sophomore year, I was walking around the campus and I saw one of the little GLOW booklet. It's called Steps to Health. And I read it for fun. And I lost about 20 pounds in six months. That was an incredible experience ever in my life. And there was one thing called Trust God. And I decided to follow that too. First time I read Bible, I started to pray. And it changed my life. I read Bible and I didn't really understand what it's saying and about pretty much everything in the Bible. So I called my church pastor. I went there before and I asked him to give me Bible study. And he explained everything that I need to know. But Daniel, Revelation, and a, a lot of prophecy in the Bible. And it was really interesting. And I decided to get baptized in 
LA Korean Church, LA Central Korean Church. It was really good experience. It is very incredible that I found this little booklet on the floor and it led me to get baptized six months ago. So I highly recommend you to pass this glow booklet to people. They might throw away, but I found it on the floor. So pass this out. Make sure that you pass this out to people. Where did he find it? On the floor. Are you kidding? He found it on the floor. Amazing. Folks, this happens over and over again. We have stories about people. Somebody wrote into us and they said, oh, I found this glow tract on the sidewalk as I was shopping for houses down in such and such a city. And they write in for Bible studies. This happens over and over again. One guy, he, he had a Bible study interest card. He was taking, he put it and threw it in the trash. He took it out to his trash. It somehow fell out of his trash and it went up on the gr ground. It stayed there through the winter. It got soggy and yucky. It's, after the winter, it dried out. The guy, one of his friends came over to visit. He says, what's this? I found this on the ground. It's a Bible study interest card. He sent it in. He was baptized. Amazing. God's intervention. God cares about that stuff so much. I wanted to share one other video with you. This is, a, this is the video of a prominent atheist. A prominent atheist in America. He hangs out with Sam Harris and uh, what's his name? The other uh, famous guy, Dawkins. They hang out. And uh, this guy's name is Penn Gillette. He's a comedian. Some of you may know him. Penn Gillette. He's a comedian, atheist comedian. And he tells the story, he's videoing himself, he tells the story about somebody approaching him with a piece of Christian literature. Listen. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I've been hoping the show. And at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph, shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the, um, what I call the hover position, after I was all done, big guy, probably about my age. Big guy. And um, he had been the... Um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so he had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the, uh, the joke book and the, and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night. And he walked over to me and he said, um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, "I brought this for you," and he handed me a uh, Gideon Pocket Edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive. And he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe 
that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever. And you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? Mm. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. What do you guys think? Do you catch what he said? How much do you have to hate someone? Isn't that interesting? But did you see his response to someone who's genuine? And then did you see what was going on in his head while the guy's handing him a Bible? You see that? Did you see that? He was like this. And there's that this going. You see that? This guy... He's a very interesting guy to think about, actually. Angels and demons, supernatural beings, literature, and the struggle for the soul. Let me share a few more stories. In the early days of the Adventist church, there was an Adventist man who loved literature, and he said, I want to let God have a chance to do something and intervene and help the work in a small country in South America. It's called British Guyana. And he found a ship that was going to British Guyana, and he took a whole bundle of tracts, a bundle of literature, and he found a ship, and he said to the captain, please, sir, would you take this to British Guyana and place it somewhere prominent and important? Please take this uh, for me, and I'll pay you. And the guy's like, ah, I really don't want to do this, but yeah, okay, you persuaded me. So the captain took the bundle of tracts, he sails down to, to, to British Guyana. He gets there and he's like, why did I let this guy persuade me? This is dumb. And he takes the whole thing of literature and goes zing and throws it onto the dock. And it goes and it's sitting on the dock. Wouldn't you know it? Some guy walks along, finds a piece of the scattered pieces of paper, picks up a tract. It's on the Sabbath. He reads it and the Adventist church is born in that country. That's amazing. That's supernatural. You're from that country. Praise God, sister. Beautiful. It's a true story. People found, there's a guy that found an evangelistic flyer in the trash, and he was baptized. Uh, over and over again, I can tell you story after story. There's the, one of my favorite stories is this, this guy's right now at Andrews University Seminary. He was uh, in his house, sullen, unhappy, worldly, not satisfied, and negative. And some girl, this young girl from ASI, uh, Youth for Jesus, anybody knows what that is? She's 14 years old, and she had a habit of twirling her hair. So she came to the door, and she was 14, and she was twirling her hair, and she says, hi, are, you know, are you interested in Bible studies and hands in literature or whatever? And he's like, no, I'm not interested at all, and closes the door on her. And there's a guy who was right behind this girl while she was smiling. He was observing, and they, they went to the next door. He's like, no, i got to go back, man. That guy needs the Lord. He goes back, knocks again, and appeals to the guy to take the, take the literature. And the, guy, and the guy on the inside of the door is like, he had prayed. After he closed the door on the girl, he said, man, if they come back one more time, God, then you're real. The guy comes back, knocks on the door. He opens the door. He's stunned. He takes the flyer, goes to the evangelistic series, is baptized, became a Bible worker, and now he's at seminary.
True story. Sorry? What year? <clears throat> Probably seven years ago. True story. Story after story. I can tell you story after story. Uh, there's one of our young men knocked on a door and uh, tried to show books. And the lady's like, no, no, no. I bought 10 of these books last summer. They were amazing. I found the nearest Adventist church and I'm baptized. And my kid's like, wow, that's amazing. Story after story, I can tell you. Uh, Seventh-day Adventist wife buys 10 books. The non-Seventh-day Adventist husband reads Steps to Christ and is baptized uh, over a month later. Over and over again, I can tell you more stories. Let me just fast forward here. This is Ashley. Ashley is precious. She came home one day after she'd been reading uh, a bunch of these books on, uh, not Harry Potter, but what's, what's the other one? Uh, Twilight. She'd been reading Twilight and a bunch of books like Twilight. She came home one day to her apartment complex and she goes to put her key in the door and she finds a glow tract and it's on Twilight. She's like, whoa. She reads this. She calls in for Bible studies. I goes over and studies the Bible with her. She's baptized. She gets married. Husband's baptized. They're now major players in their home church. He's the, the, the husband is the youth leader. Praise God. I don't even know who put that glow tract on the door. Amazing. Satan, see, Satan thought he had her. Satan thought he had her. Can you imagine the struggle that went on between angels and demons when she comes home and puts her key in the door and finds that tract? They're saying, no, I've got this girl. What was our, what was our quote? Let's go back to our quote. Let's review it. Whenever... A book is presented, or a piece of literature, right, is presented that will expose error. Satan is close by the side of the one to whom it is offered and urges reason why it should not be accepted. Don't pick that card up off the ground. Don't pull it out of the trash can. Don't take it off the door. Don't believe it. But a divine agency is at work to influence minds in favor of the light. I don't know what the battle looks like. Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10 is one of the most remarkable stories in all of Scripture. We don't have time to go through a lot of it today. It's one of the most remarkable stories in all of Scripture. I have to look at my Bible to make sure it's ac I'm actually seeing it correctly. Daniel chapter 10. So, Daniel sees the vision of a glorious man. He's amazed. He gets down on, the, you know, on his hands and knees in the dog position. He can hardly stand. He can hardly breathe, he says. The angel strengthens him. <clears throat> And verse, verse 10, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. I'm in Daniel 10, verse 10. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Verse 12, then he said to me, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. When did he start praying? Reverse to verse 1. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, okay? Verse 2, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning Three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. He went on a 21-day modified fast. A 21-day modified fast. He started praying 21 days ago, and the angel takes 21 days to reach him. Why did the angel take 21 days to reach him? Verse 12, at the end of verse 12, it says, it says, uh, it says, from the first day you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Praise God. But why was there a 21-day delay? What happened? Verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood or resisted me. How long? 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What? A divine agency has worked to, has at work to influence minds in favor of the light. So here the angel says, well, I would have been here 21 days ago, but I got stuck. I got held up along the way. 
commentators are divided as to whether, in fact, if you have a, if you have a, a newer translation, it, the, the newer translations actually translate this demon prince. We don't know whether it was the actual prince of per Persia, who was a, a human being, who was resisting God's will with his human desires, human choices, or whether it was some supernatural prince assigned to the kingdom of Persia. Now, that, don't be confused. This is not, I'm not teaching territorial spirits, okay? But, but whatever the case is, this supernatural being got held up along the way. And, he, and Daniel's prayer, for 21 days, Daniel was praying, and his prayer was not answered. And there was a fight. There was a fight between angels and demons in Daniel chapter 10 that Daniel didn't know about. And the fight was over the future of God's people. It's fascinating, Ellen White's comments on this particular, which we don't have time to go into, on this particular story. And then, at the end of verse 13 that I read, Michael comes to help, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. What kind of battle are we talking about? Are we talking about you need more or, or angels of higher authority? I don't know. The Bible doesn't spell it out. But evidently, there was some kind of supernatural struggle here. And when Michael showed up, it pushed everything along nicely. That's what it seems to say, doesn't it? That's what it seems to say. And then he goes on and continues with, with his explanation of the vision to Daniel. And look at verse 21. I will tell you what is in the scripture of truth. No one upholds me against these except Michael, your prince. And then 11 verse 1, I even, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. So this angel is strengthening a human power. So there's a supernatural struggle that goes on for, the, for, for people's souls that is very real. It's very, very real. I'm going to skip through some of these other stories. These are cool baptism stories. Absolutely just beautiful stories. These people baptized with God's supernatural intervention. This is an amazing story. Uh, these people picked up three Sabbath tracts. It's just amazing. Um, this is a uh, letter from a contact. Um, you know what? I'm not going to read this. I'm going I'm to skip through because I want to get to the story. This is Jordana. Some of you know Jordana Ashburn. I grew up in an Adventist home. We always went to Sabbath school and church. I received an Adventist education my whole life. I even served as a student missionary. Where was I headed? I was headed out the door of the Seventh-day Adventist church. Being an Adventist to me simply meant Vespers, Friday nights, church on Sabbath, lots and lots of haystacks, <laughs> vegetarian cafeteria, and a policy of no jewelry. But I did not know my Bible. I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. By the way, she sent this testimony to me un unsolicited. I did not ask her for, to do this. But I did not have a personal relationship with Jesus. I, did, I had not even heard of the three angels' messages. I was a cultural Adventist. A cultural Adventist. Maybe some of you are like me. I was like Jordana. I grew up in a cultural Adventist. That was just my thing. I mean, it was time to get baptized, so I did, or whatever. I gave God one summer, only three months. I had in my head the notion that solicitors, okay, he, she decided to participate in literature evangelism. What I, don't actually, what I don't have on this slide is a part of her testimony where she says that she was at an Adventist school, and she had friends around her who were saying, come over here, study this religion with me. She studied Zoroastrian, how do you say it, Zoroastrianism, Buddhism, all kinds of New Age philosophies, Satan was after her. Satan was after her. She studied those satanic philosophies by, uh, of her own accord. And she was confused. We talked uh, at seminar number one about the confusion and uncertainty in the postmodern and secular mind. The confusion and uncertainty. Jordana experienced that confusion. So she decided to give God one summer. I had in my head the notion that solicitors were an annoyance. I showed up to the literature evangelism program angry with myself for agreeing to be one of those annoying persons. However, my heart softened as I realized some people behind those doors had prayed for someone like me to come. My heart softened as I realized some people had no way of going to a church, had no way of knowing about Jesus unless I had come to their door. My heart softened as some people cried and I was able to remind them a Savior who loves them. <clears throat> my heart softened as I bumped into a New Age lady same stuff she was studying, satanic teachings, who reminded me of myself and said, you came at just the right moment. I came back at the end of every night full of joy. God was meeting my challenge. Literature evangelism is the work that has changed my life. I'd never experienced a miracle before, supernatural miracles. I'd never known what a divine appointment was like. I'd never felt the joy that I received. It results on knocking on strangers' doors. It is the reason that I am still in the church. 
She's now the field director for Voice of Prophecy with Sean Boonstrup. It is the reason that I'm still in the church. Satan desires to have us, that he may sift us as wheat. Luke chapter 22. Satan has desired to have you. In fact, let's look at that in closing. I've got to close this baby up. Luke chapter 22. It's a very interesting passage about the struggle for the soul, the supernatural struggle for the soul. The words of Jesus in Luke 22. Luke 22 and verse 31. And Jesus is speaking to Peter. Jesus is speaking to, me, to Peter. And he uses Peter's name twice. And when Jesus does that, it's, it's for effect, for em- emphasis. But I sense that it's also out of love. And the Lord said, Luke 22, verse 31, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Why? Tell me, why does Satan need to come to God and ask for someone? Isn't that interesting? Does Satan have to come? Okay, Job chapter 1, he's walking up and down on the earth. Does he have to come up to God and say, I want that one particularly, and I want that one too? You see that, that struggle? Indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. In, in vernacular today, that he may take you out. That's what he's saying. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brother. Wow. You don't feel like anybody else is praying for you. You don't feel like praying for yourself. Jesus is praying for us. Isn't that nice? Whenever a book is presented that will expose Satan and his errors, Satan is right by the side of the one to whom it is presented, urging reasons why it should not be accepted. But angels oppose their force to that of Satan. You guys want to be on the right side? You guys want to help? You guys want to be used by the, by the supernatural forces for good? You want to do that? I do too. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of being involved in the supernatural conflict. Help us as we appeal to people, as we minister to people, as we hand out literature. As we, as we use literature like you want us to use it as a big part of the supernatural battle for the souls of the people around us. And I pray for those in this room. I pray that all of us will return to our churches and schools full of your Holy Spirit, ready to reach the hearts that are around us. And I pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you will do this for us and give us these gifts. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2014 conference at The Cross in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.